Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. Like I got into a new home recently, and uh, you know we're heading towards winter now, and it's just nice to like be homesteading and like really just making the house a, a place. And it made me think a lot about like owning a home and how fortunate I am to be able to do that. Owning a home now is is so different than when I was growing up, and the idea of like oh like of course you're going to own a home, you're going to have a front yard and a backyard, and like yeah I actually have achieved that, but like damn it was super hard. I'm 47 and it took a long road to get there. And you think about that promise all of us were made when we were kids, and it's just different now. And in fact, many people would be very fortunate to own any kind of home, let alone a standalone. With that, I, I was just really interested in the idea of like I want to talk to someone from that industry and really get into it. Because just like anyone, before I bought a home, I was feeling a lot of anger about the market and a lot of like bitterness towards the world that we live in, in that regard. So this is the third home that I've bought. So like kind of each time buying a home, selling it, buying the next one, selling it to get to where I'm at. Now that I understand the market a lot more, it's changed my perception. I feel less angry about it, but I definitely feel like the system is, is broken and Things need to change, and to do that, we need to educate ourselves. So that's why I'm so thankful that we have today's guest. So today we're talking to Paul Fraser. Um, Paul's a realtor with Oakland Realty Limited based in Vancouver. Um, he's really insightful, clear, and passionate, and just like a charming guy. He's I've known him well. He's helped me purchase a couple properties now, and I just really like his take on things. He's just like a daringly honest, authentic person. You know, he really enjoys working with his clients to help them find their dream home, whether it's like first time buyers or helping clients transition from condominiums to a detached home. He strives to help people make important decisions about where to live, when to move and how to benefit financially from the process. It's weird when you're trying to buy a home because it can be so scary about where do you put your trust? And I'll say just hands down, like, Having used a number of realtors over my time, this is the one that I've really been like, I can trust this person. And while we don't always agree on on things about like, let's say real estate and even from like what's right or wrong in real estate, it's someone that I can firmly say comes from the most ethical, thoughtful and, and really client centered way and community centered way that you can. This is a fantastic conversation. And for anyone here who's like either interested in buying a home or has like deep feelings about like how fair the housing market is. Like, how did we get here? This is a great conversation to listen to. So before we get into it, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to this episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. Everyone, welcome back to the show. And as I mentioned in the intro, we have someone I'm super excited to interview today, uh, Paul Fraser, who is not only someone that I've done a lot of business with and uh, had incredible, uh, just an incredible experience with, but also someone who's become a personal friend because in having such a good uh, working relationship, we've gotten to know each other. And there's just something about like, being in the trenches that way that can create a real bond if you're th- with the right person. So with that, Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Okay, man, there's tons of stuff I want to talk to you about real estate. I want to talk to you about how you got into the business and all of that. But as we know, this is a, a business and leadership podcast, predominantly leadership. And people come to us for all sorts of reasons, you know, but at the end of the day, like some people come to us from the business world, from the punk scene, from the music scene, artists, social workers, activists, all sorts of people come to the show. But what they're really looking for is the conversation about leadership and how different people and different professionals experience that. So from a a realtor perspective and being involved in the real estate market in Vancouver, if you think about leadership, what does that mean for you in your role? So it's a great question. Um, Real estate is filled with all kinds of metrics that uh, I think somebody could call themselves a leader in. And sometimes it gets a little bit confusing. Um, you know, to, 
to be concise on it, I think a leader is somebody, and especially in real estate, is somebody that others or my peers would go to for advice or counsel or guidance. I think that's a good sort of demonstrator of a of a leader, like a person that you're confident going to um, when you're you're not sure exactly what your next steps are. It's interesting you say that because, as you know, so I bought three properties for everyone listening uh, in my time. So I bought two duplexes and then now now home, a detached home, and I had a terrible experience with the first two realtors I worked with. I would, I would rank it as terrible and I'll leave their names out of it, but I was very unhappy. I was very, very unhappy with my experience with them. And so the first time I bought a place, it was like, it was all like, ah, you know, you're so important to us, da, 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 da. But then you realized it was just like, oh, we just want you to buy something, like just buy something. And of course I did. And uh, it turned out bad. It was a bad situation that a realtor, a good realtor could have steered me off of 100%. So the second duplex I, I, I bought, I met a new realtor and talked to them about the, my experience with the first and said, Hey, like, I really want to avoid that. And it was all like, Oh yes, you know, we're with you and we've got you and it will be totally different. Basically the exact same thing. Just like buy something, get out of our, get out of our hair. And I was like, damn, like, is this what the, the market's like? But the person that we bought the second duplex from was someone you were representing. And that's how you and I met each other. And I remember it being such a great experience that although we were buying it from people you were representing, the way you were in the interaction was really, uh, it was illuminating about what a positive experience could be. And then that's how you and I have become real, uh, you know, associated with business. And then you've helped me sell uh, my first property and then buy a new property. So I can attest to what it's like to, to work with you and feel that sense of like, I can really like go to you and I can really ask you questions, but is that something natural to you? Or is that something that you developed as a result of the kind of industry that you're in? I think that it's something that's a part of me. Mm -hmm. Real estate is for lack of a better term, sort of the currency that I trade my service in. Right. I've always been very service oriented. I've, I've, whether it's as a kid, uh, you know, being a host at a Fuddruckers and greeting guests coming uh, into, you know, essentially what is a fast food restaurant, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I treated with the equal measure of uh, vigor and uh, enthusiasm. But all the way, I worked always, I was a customer service representative for Whistler Mountain. It's always been a natural role for me. So helping people and being of service and like really showing that like, hey, I'm here to help you. That's just your natural state. And so it just ha you're just doing that now within the real estate world. Yeah. And, and it, it just so happens that it's I think it's a versus or a, in contrast to the experience you have that perhaps I stand out so much, mm -hmm. so much more. And, and it's certainly a compliment. It's dearly appreciated. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um but it's, it's not an act. I just, I don't know how else to be. I understand there's different ways to, to cross the finish line. Um, and perhaps some of the agents you've worked with previously, you experienced some of the different ways to go around. And I think it's also equal to their experience. You know, the reality of it is, is it's very likely that they have clients that are very happy with them and, and very they, they don't know any different, right? So maybe they're like, wow, that guy did a great job. But I also think that, you know, I work with people that are of like mind or like kind. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we can often pick that up from one another when we, when you first meet, it's that, as you mentioned, like you were like, wow, uh, and it's a genuine enthusiasm. It wasn't just during that viewing that you experienced that you saw that with me as we looked at properties and how I would break them down and, and say, or if I was excited about something or perhaps not as excited about something, you know, it's, it's an authenticity or uh, just a part of me. I can't, I don't know. I don't turn it on or off. It's, it's me. This is why I wanted to do this conversation because buying a house is terrifying, especially now, like in, in, in the world that we're in and like, you know, I think of the first experience I had with a realtor and I literally felt like it was like someone was running away with a bag that had like a dollar sign on it. And they're like, <laughs> like twisting their mustache. It's like, God damn, like I got screwed over there. The second time, not so much. I felt I was just like 
you know, this is like a numbers game. I got to, I got to get as many people to buy as many things as I can so that I can, you know, get to my place. But it didn't, it didn't feel as bad the second time, or maybe I was just more used to it, but it didn't feel necessarily good. Like it didn't feel like this person cared what happened here and was there to make, help me make the best choice. Um, and why it was so different when you and I interacted and, and the care that you've shown about things. And so it sounds like it's more of a natural thing for you, but if we break it down, so if you're thinking about the market that we're in now and a lot of stuff that we hear from people is like, how am I ever going to afford a house? Like housing, the housing market is unprecedented everywhere. Like all across North America, people are struggling. So if you were to say, what should people be looking for in a realtor from a, a leadership perspective, what should people be looking for? Wow. Um, well, first of all, I totally agree. It's it's a it's a very challenging activity to do, um, and I think it's so important that you trust the person you're working with. There's a lot of focus on somebody's performance, and oh, I'm number one in this or number one in that. And I think I shared this with you, and I share it with people all the time: is that because somebody's been very successful in a particular thing doesn't actually mean that they're a good fit for you. And so I think having that fit, having the trust, and hopefully somebody that is like-minded or ideally maybe even at the same sort of stage or close to the same state stage that you're looking to embark on. Like the life, life stage? Exactly. And that would be okay. a small example. Um, I admit, mm -hmm. and I, I know very well that I'm perhaps not the best agent for a family of six and I don't, I'm not going to make it up. I understand what it's like to have four kids and juggle a job and shop. But what I do know is in, in learning that kind of thing is that or about somebody is that they're busy. And so for myself in my skill set, I just try to really evaluate in my interactions with them. Am I best using their time? Am I, Am I giving them more stuff to do or am I taking away like my job? Am I actually giving them a service by making it easier for them? Because somebody with a similar schedule to me, it's, it's almost inconsequential. Like if they can make it work, it's great. And here we go. But in a lot of situations, when you're working with someone, scheduling is of paramount concern. I mean, we need to go and look at these places together. That's an interesting thing though. Cause like, so you said trust, but I'm glad you broke it down. Cause like trust is such like, I call it like a marquee word, like trust, you know, integrity, honesty, it's like get out of here. Like, I mean, people talk about honesty all the time, myself included, but people myself included lie all the time, not terrible, deceitful lies, but like little white lies and like little things to make life go easier. So we can have these big marquee ideas like honesty, trust. But what does that actually mean when someone's looking for a realtor? So something you said there that I thought was really interesting when you were like, someone who kind of like actually understands your life because either they've been there or they're there now, right? So someone almost in a kind of in like a peer level space where they get you. That's one, but also someone who actually makes it easier for you. You and I are kind of in similar life spaces, but also like the getting it, making it easier for you is something that you, you certainly did. And like, how can a realtor, like when, if someone's looking at a realtor, how does someone, how does a realtor make it easier for you around, around buying a property? Well, being, being attentive to what your client or, and this is, by the way, it's certainly very exclusive to real estate, but being aware of what they're looking for. I mean, and in your situation, you know, we were focused on a home and, you know, if I kept on, which I did a little bit, I did show you some duplexes again and everything just to, and personally, strategically, just to make sure, um, because there's a, there's a gap between things. So, you know, making sure that you're listening to your clients or making sure that your realtor is listening to you. Um, and, and part of that is also the onus is upon them, but you as a buyer or a client in any industry, it's also important, you know what you want. And sometimes people don't. And I'm pretty good at helping people figure out what they don't want. Um, mm. And that's part of the exercise of like, okay, I'm going to show you this and I want to see how you look, react, speak, uh, all of those things while you're in the property, after we leave the property, things like that. So I think, you know, you have to know what you want as well and then be able to convey that to your agent. And for me, it's also important that you're picking that up from your client. So 
it's a very um, symbiotic relationship. Like everybody has to be on board. Um, and sometimes people get frustrated because they don't quite know what they want. And so they're looking at a bunch of stuff and it becomes very overwhelming. And that would be a circumstance of, I would consider that the realtor's fault or the, the service provider's fault, right? Like mm -hmm. this is the thing you're going to someone for some expertise. And so I didn't mm -hmm. need to show you properties in Lynn Valley. Like there's no way I was going to get you to Lynn Valley. I could have built the most compelling value scenario for you, but it wasn't going to happen. And I knew mm -hmm. that because I had listened to you. I had asked you and I'd taken the time to figure that out. Like, okay, you're cool with this. You're not cool with this. And this is our timeline. And I think that resulted, and I'm optimistic that it resulted in a very successful transaction. Well, totally, man. And so like to, to tell a bit more of the story, you and I were looking at places for over a year. Yeah. <laughs> we went to a ton of places. Yes, we did. And here, here, here's what's different between that and like the other times that I'd, I'd, I'd purchased was like, the window was much shorter and it was like, I felt like rushed. Like the first time I bought a, a place, it was just like anything would be told to me to get me to buy something like literally anything. And I was like, damn, like, damn, that did not feel good. Like I didn't realize at the time, right. Cause I was ignorant and I didn't know what to look for in a realtor. And the second time it was just like, it was not as bad, but it was kind of similar with you. Like I'd never experienced pushback from a realtor before where you're like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. This is what you need. I, and like, I remember points getting like a little frustrated, like, God damn it. Like, you know, this is what I want. But the more you did that, what the more you did that, the more you helped me really question, well, why do I want something? And does that actually work? And is that just more for my ego or is that just more for my dream of what I want? And there were some things you moved me off of, including like what neighborhood I was going to live in. And there were other things that, that you, I got more convinced of, but I wouldn't have been as convinced of. This is the, probably the only time where I've bought something and I didn't have total buyer's remorse, which is good since it's like the biggest thing I've ever bought in my life. Yeah. But our process was interesting and it was not like a, Hey, you should just go buy something. And one of the things I'd add in here for anyone listening is like the Vancouver real estate market is insane. And like it houses is. are like, like on and off the market instantly. So there's often that kind of like, buy it now, do it now. And you were never like that with me. And it was a, a huge, you always said, if you don't get this house, the, the next right one is waiting for you. Like something of that. And it was really comforting to be in that space. But I felt that was, at least for me, in my experience, that was unusual for someone in this market if, as a, as a realtor. Yeah. And it, you're absolutely correct. And it, I do pride myself on it. it. It's something that is, I want your business, but I don't need it. And that is something for me as a salesperson at the end of the day, that it's taken me, I'll admit, years to truly embrace. And really, that is so indoctrinated into me is that, you know, and our, our owner of our brokerage, his, he made a comment when I, we have a little Oakland University program that agents coming in, and I had already been a, a realtor for nine years or sorry, uh, seven or eight years before I joined Oakland. And I still went through what they call the Oakland U, the Oakland University. And, and Michael, you, one of our, our owners, he said, he's like, you know, there's more than enough deals to go around. There's always people that are um, at a different stage of life, getting a promotion, moving, perhaps they're losing a family member or gaining a family member. All of those lifestyle transactions are always happening. Years ago, my dad taught me, I blew a huge tantrum when I was 15 years old about this. I wanted a 69, this Baja bug. It was a VW Beetle that was all chopped up and the wheels were flared. I was in the Okanagan and I was so upset. I was so upset that I lost it. I didn't get it. He sold the, the seller, sold it to someone else. And I was just so mad at my dad. He explained to me very well. He said, you know what, Paul, the great thing about deals is there's always another one. There, and there is. And these are two things that have stuck with me all the time. And I really try to share that with people. And, and in this market, you're absolutely correct. I mean, houses going, and I've experienced it both on the buy and the sell side, where you're dealing with five people that are increasing their offer for your property by tens of thousands of dollars in minutes, in minutes. Like if I walked into a store and looked at a car and then, or anything, and they were like, oh, 
now it's actually, that was 150, now it's $200. I would be like, what? What are you talking about? But that is actually the example of the Vancouver market. And it doesn't, it doesn't serve anyone to react to that. Like, I get it that, you know, homes are something that everybody really wants. And, and I shared this with you when we, you know, were looking is that even when it was frustrating, you know, like this is a privilege. And I think, I'm not going to say people are confused, but I think there's a, um, a perception about real estate and home ownership that, you know, it's just not as easy as people think. It's a very hard thing. And especially when the market's challenging, you know, it's so important that you get exactly what you want, right? And if you don't, you also have to have the confidence or the discipline to move on and find mm -hmm. what you want. And you may discover that by losing a bunch or mm -hmm. some people I work with, they're, you know what? Sure, it's fine. And they've set out, I'll buy this one. And in five years, I'll get something else. It's certainly a challenging market for that sort of purchasing scenario, but it's, you know, I try to help shield people from that pressure of like, yeah, just buy it and don't worry about it. We'll deal with it in time. No, <laughs> no, it's your decision. I'm just here to, to show you all the things that I think you should consider mm -hmm. before you make your decision. And, and it, ultimately it's up to you and I will help you, you know, draft and guide you and, you know, introduce you to the, the right people that are going to help you make that decision. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and like that, uh, taking the time with the deal is one of the great things that I learned from you. And, and it, it's also like something that I practice in my own, in my own business. Like don't go into situations trying to get like a sale. Cause if you go into something trying to get a sale, then you're going to create a bad situation for everyone. You're going to be, you're going to be trying to get something rather than building a relationship of service and helping people. And I'd say for anyone who's like kind of embarking on this real estate journey, which is scary, but it's important. And it is part of like, when I say wealth generation, not like trying to be rich and have money, but more so like, Hey, like wealth generation matters, not because we're trying to be a bunch of rich people, but more, it's like, you're trying to set yourself up for a future and for your family and for your kids and all those. And buying real estate is one way of wealth generation that is still very viable if you take the right steps and you work with the right people. But with that, I did want to get into the space of, you know, people are angry and people are angry because most of us grew up with the idea of, you know, like you own a home, you know, you see those memes going around, like my parents, when they were 20, it's like, we should buy a house. Me, when I'm 20, it's like, I hope I can afford dinner. You know, like it's a different world than we grew up in and people are angry. Do you think people, what are your thoughts on the anger that people are experiencing right now about realizing how, how hard it is to buy a home? Well, I, I'm, first of all, I'm happy you asked this. I feel like I have a unique perspective on this. And I think it has a little bit more to do with how um, voraciously we put out and consume information. And so what I mean by that is I, there, I believe there is an element of magnification of, um, you know, bad news travels much quicker than good news. So I think it's a great story. I think it's a super hot button with people. Um, oh, real estate's running away and, and X, Y, Z, whatever explanations. And, you know, let's face it, people, this, you know, and I share this with people all the time is that remember that those writers, those editors and those publishers of that article you're reading, they have mortgages to pay too, mm -hmm. right? They have a, they, they need those clicks. They need that reading. So uh, to think that it's a, an absolutely unbiased opinion or that it isn't slanted, I think is the first thing that needs to be quantified here. Mm -hmm. Second to it is that I also feel like it's always been hard. Certainly, comparatively, uh, the pricing, I can't unpack that for everyone. You know, this is, you know, there's a saying in real estate that your home is worth what someone's willing to pay for. it, And mm -hmm. if there's multiple people willing to pay for it, if you put yourself in the seller's shoes, so, you know, what's the opposite to this? Or should the seller just be interviewing people and their family situation and where they come from? And, and some people might make their decision of who they sell their home to based on the personal information of the buyer. But for the most part, they decide on money. I also think that Canada is a big, beautiful country. And, um, and I did, I shared this with you when we were shopping is that you know, there is also an element where 
when people say I can't afford a house, okay, well, so do you want a house so badly that you're willing to move or do you want a house or feel that you need a house in Vancouver? And I've moved all over. I've moved from as a child, Saskatoon to Edmonton, to Kelowna, to Whistler, to Kelowna, to Edmonton, back to Vancouver. And I share this with people is, you know, I don't move to New York and expect that I should be able to buy a, a whatever, anything on fifth Ave or on, uh, you know, on the, uh, on a major highly desirable, like in Beverly Hills, if I was in California and I think in Vancouver, I do. I think people are pretty spoiled with like, mm-hmm. our city is amazing and how we have this hugely dense residential section between the West End and Coal Harbor and over into Gastown as well as East Van and the proximity of those neighborhoods to the downtown core where, you know, pre-COVID, not to say that it's gone away, but was such an important um, proximity, like to be able to work down to, and live 20 minutes away. So, you know, in, in most other cities, whether it's even quite frankly in Edmonton, I used to commute 45 minutes to my job. And I, I do find it interesting with a lot of people where like, if I'm like, oh, well, you know, there's brand new houses in Ladner out in Tawasson for 980,000 brand new mm-hmm. 2,500 square foot house. But I couldn't, I have a client right now. I could, there's no way I could get him to buy that, but he has a family right. and has a house. And I was like, well, which is it? Is it the convenience of living in the city that you're after? And it would be nice if you had a house. And if that's the, the recipe you're trying to put together, then yeah, I, I'm sorry. These are sort of big rocks on the table. The cost is what it is. And if you can't afford it, it's not a dig. It's not a criticism. But where you're at right now, you maybe can't buy a detached house in East Vancouver or in, in the west side of Vancouver. And that's fine. I don't think that is the industry's fault. Okay. Let me push on this though, man. I got to push on this. Okay. So I collect records, like vinyl records of, of bands. And like, you know, when a record comes out, it's worth like $12 or maybe $20 at this point, whatever it is. But then, you know, you press limited amounts of colors of vinyl. For anyone who who's not into punk rock, I'm about to describe something that sounds so idiotic, you're going to have to excuse me. But as an example, there are certain records that don't just retain value, but they grow in their value, right? So there's this really famous pressing of a record. There's this band Judge, and they had 110 copies of on white vinyl of a version of their record called the Chung King can suck it. So these 110 copies have become this kind of like legendary record, whether or not you like judge or don't like judge. They're kind of like, it's legendary thing where they came out and you know, they were mailed out to people and they instantly started selling for more than what would be retail price. And you know, first it was like $20 or $40 or $200. And I remember when I got into record collecting, it was like, oh, $200 for a Chung King. That's terrible. That person, that person's not punk. They're, they're so awful to be doing that. But now that record sells for $7,000 or even more than that. Now, here's the thing. People get pissed off about it. They're like, oh, people are driving up the price. Like, how dare they? That's so disgusting. But flip it, if I owned a Chung King and I had to sell it, I'd be like, damn, I want to get as much money Thank for this you. as I can. Yeah. So I can, I, I can understand that. But here's the thing at the end of the day. I don't need a Chung King. I mean, realistically, I do need a Chung King because that's, I, 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 do, I need, do need one. But I don't need one to live, right? And so like, if people are driving up the price because they want to get the highest amount of value for something they've invested in, then that's like, well, you pay, you pay it's worth what someone's willing to pay I can appreciate that thinking for there. And I can understand why people drive up the price because let's say they bought it at $3,000. Why wouldn't they want to get $4,000 for it, right? Because what are they going to use that money for? Maybe for something important or maybe not for something important, but it's their right to do that. Yeah, how is that important what they use the money for? I mean, I think it's a secondary thing. Yeah, it doesn't make someone a bad person or a good person. It's just like, yeah, I can, but because I want to buy one, I'm like, how dare they? All right, so that's one thing, but nobody needs to buy a record, right? A house. Everyone needs to live in a house. Everyone needs shelter, right? I agree. So we have an industry of people 
who are part of consciously driving up prices. Or at least that's what it seems like to people who are trying to buy buy things. Now, if I'm selling a house, as I did recently, I want more money than what I bought it for. That doesn't make me a bad person. That makes me someone who's invested in something. And if I'm buying something, I want it for a reasonable price. I don't want it for a lot of, a lot of money. I want it for for I want to I want it for either what you paid for it or less. I want the market to have take so I can get a deal on it. So we've got these two people who who want things that are reasonable, but the middle person is the realtor. And I'm not making a judgment here, but I'd say from like kind of a societal space, especially for young people, I think there's kind of a negative view that realtors drive up prices and that they can profit from basically creating a scenario that's untenable for people to buy. What are your thoughts on that? That was a long runway for that. And I I brought in judge. I hear you on that. And it's, I think just to comment on the, on the record to the punk scene, I mean, it's a, it's a great analogy for two reasons. One is that because you have an emotional attachment to that object that plays that music, right? Yes. And so to the, the comment of it not, you know, it isn't required, of course, but you know what you want, mm-hmm. right? So that's what we learn in that is that you're willing to pay because you know that you want that. And that kind of circles back mm-hmm. to what I was talking about is knowing what you want. I understand how the frustration could be um, directed towards the broker, towards the realtor. And this is true of of a lot of industries, but because I'm a realtor and we're talking about real estate, it will say realtors. But it would be like, uh, in my opinion, faulting the waiter for like the quality of meat you got from the chef, right? I do whatever you legally instruct me to do. I present you with the data. This is what's happening in your neighborhood this home sold for this price in this many days, this was the price, you know, versus or compared to the, you know, the government or the BC assessment value, whatever metric we want to go to. And this is the price that we will go to market at. Now, as we go to market, if multiple people come in and offer me slash my client more, I don't quite see how that is the fault of a realtor. It's, this is commerce. And I understand if people want a lower price for a house, I get it. I want 911s to be cheaper. I want, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all kinds of stuff to be cheaper, but it's just, it's not the way it goes. I think that the reality of it is, is this is a market. This is commerce. This is capitalism. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if it was a huge issue and the government wanted to get involved, which they have on several circumstances, it's actually had quite a contradictory effect on the market. I think if people are so concerned or so upset with the price of real estate, then they should be talking to their, you know, their city leaders and explaining to them that, hey, guys, like, why are we restricting this land use? You know, hey, team, like, why can I only build this here? I mean, there's a lot of other solutions to reducing the price that are besides the transaction, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that supply would uh, totally dilute this issue of, of bidding. And, but it also does show people like how in demand Vancouver is. And this pandemic is a great example of it in this past year. Because you, if you remember, there's a lot of stories about, oh, foreign buyers and foreign investors. Well, that wasn't the circumstance this past year. And I think it's been very interesting to see that it's been predominantly local buyers, people perhaps making parallel moves and -hmm. people making upgrade moves, right? Like you've gone from a duplex into a detached home, as have I, but it's not like uh, it wasn't by like happenstance or anything. Like, as you talked about, there's a great deal of work and risk and just quite frankly, commitment or dedication that goes into accomplishing this goal. Getting mad at realtors about this would be like getting mad at eBay. Like if I go and buy a chunking off of eBay and it's like at some astronomical price because a bunch of people are bidding at it and I got mad at eBay, it's like, how dare eBay create this marketplace where people can put things up in a competitive market? I want that. Like I, and I totally get it because I've in my time before I got involved in real estate and even as I've been involved in real estate, I felt like anger towards realtors or, or towards the market because it just feels wrong. But I also recognize like, listen, 
if I want to buy that Chunking record, if I decide I'm going to start collecting records on a Tuesday, the first record I, I buy is not going to be a Chunking. It's going to be something I need to work up towards over years and trade and figure out and like and and do all this stuff. And that's still recognizing nobody actually needs a Chunking, although I, I do actually need a Chunking. But I recognize that with houses, it's an interesting thing. So I see a lot of anger towards realtors and like kind of like a anger towards that industry. And I feel like you spoke to it really well. But where I want to go a little deeper with that is like, hey, listen, you can be mad. You can be mad at realtors. And I totally get that. But it's misdirected anger. And if you want to do something about it, you should do this so that you should do this is where I'd like to go deeper. Like we should do what? Like because like essentially I don't want to say who's to blame about this, but like the standard of living, what we were promised when we were young versus what we have now is totally different. I don't want to say who's to blame, but what can we do to make housing more affordable so people can realize that dream of home home ownership, even in a place like Vancouver? Yeah. Well, and there's, I think there's a lot. I have my opinion on it. I'm, I'm sure there's people that would speak differently to it, but my opinion is that there's a strong opportunity for an increase in supply. Um, I don't know if people really um, understand what a lot of developers go through in their efforts. Like there's no shortage of builders that want to build, by the way, and it's not just condos and, you know, they want to build market rentals. They want to build um, low income or, or, or social housing. And, you know, we have companies, we have the bandwidth to do this, but I, in my opinion, a lot of it gets caught up in the city councils and, and districts making decisions on, on developments. And, and I can give you a small example that's been in the news recently for me out here in deep cove is there was a project proposed down off Dollarton down. It's an area called Maple Hills right by uh there's a transfer station and and arteryx and some other commercial there's a mixed use a grocery store it's a great area and a developer had made application to build some 390 or 400 homes and some commercial retail spaces below something that we've all seen all over you know burnaby and everywhere a very uh palatable so to speak development but they went through three revisions with the district of north vancouver and each time the district uh, had asked them to make uh, more market rentals within the complex. So essentially chewing into the developer's profit opportunity. The next revision that they were asked to participate in, they actually reduced the total number of units for the development in general, which you know is also a cut into uh, the business model of the developer. And as such, the project has been shelved because it gets to a point where it's not worth it for the developer in the private market to build the product. And mm -hmm. a, a ripple effect to that is that there's a, a restaurant and a, a tire shop just down the road from me, maybe 100 meters, where they were planning on moving in to some of that commercial space that was going to go into that development. And as such, they agreed to the sale of their property, which or the landlords of it have sold. But now they have nowhere to go and they have nowhere to operate their businesses. And so it's, by the way, that's not the fault of any realtor involved. That mm -hmm. is genuinely the district delaying the development of an area, which also sweets into the, the development side of things. We have an overwhelmingly large community of people that are very vocal about not in my backyard. You've probably heard this mm. acronym, the, the NIMBY, mm. right? Not in my backyard. Yeah. And it, that is also something that creates an obstacle, right? So again, it reduces the supply. It's not completely the, the core of the issue, but you know, people don't want, they want to make change and they, oh yes, no, well, let's build this housing, but they don't actually want it to happen nearby them. You've you know, even downtown with the low income housing that goes in or, you know, and I've experienced it on, on property I own downtown, but you know what, we have a need for it in our society and whether it affects the value of my real estate or not, we need it. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, a little bit more of an elaborate way of explaining, like, you know, I think mm -hmm. people could, if they're so vocal about the price and, and the experience in buying a home, they could get a little bit more involved with the municipalities and the districts and their decision-making when they shelve these developments. You know, when we think about things like um, 
you know, getting him more involved in the politics and getting involved in, in, in um, creating that kind of change. Of course, we need to be thinking about things like vulnerable populations that are out there. And I know like you have uh, a lot of thoughts and a lot of like caring. And uh, I, I know this as because I bought a house from you and you helped me buy a house. And uh, it's in an area that has uh, a lot of people who are vulnerable. So when we're thinking about that, it's not just about like, can we afford it? It's about, is there enough supply? And if there's not enough supply, like, you know, things need to be developed. But if we develop things and there's things about like geography, there's things about like vulnerable populations, it's a complex, complex issue. However, the one thing that we do know is that people need homes and that whether or not they're renting or whether or not they're getting homes because um, we're helping people transition into different living conditions or whether you're going out and buying a home, people need homes. There is a lot of anger towards the government about it. And there is a, like a level of anger, I think, towards realtors. But the interesting thing is that realtors are people too, right? They're like good people who are trying to make stuff happen. So with that, let's hear your story. How did you get into real estate? How did this become your, your business? It's a, you know, it's a great question. And um, it started for me in about 2009. And um, my wife had worked with a, a real estate development company, an international company. And we had gone on a trip, they were launching a, a project in the Philippines. Uh, and uh, one person was they were short staffed. And I had done a bunch of service and, and sales occupations previous to it. And the, uh, the CEO of the company asked me, said, hey, Paul, you know, would you mind stepping in here on, um, in the sales center and helping us uh, with the sale of this, this project? And I was like, of course. So that was really where it started for me back uh, 2009 in Manila in the Philippines. And, um, and it was also by the encouragement of another fellow, Scott Brown, who, who works in real estate. He said, you know, you should really get into this. And so it became much more top of mind. And then we got to the point and we got caught up in, in the 2008 when um, there was a severe you know, economic crash in the U.S. There was a huge perception of uh, you know, uh, real estate is dropping or you, know, you, you better get in. And I'll admit, like, we got caught up in it, my wife and I. And uh, we did end up taking a lot of time, but it was through our process of buying a home and I was fortunate that I had a great agent uh, that I worked with. And I was like, wow, this is, and I, I do remember asking, it was Eric Grant. He's a managing broker at our, our office. And I was like, so this is your job, hey? And I mean, really, because I had the perception of what these jobs are like. But after spending a few months looking at places, I was like, this is cool. And he was very encouraging. He said, yeah, you should do it. And, you know, I did. I, uh, I started out working in pre-sales, so working in a sales center and, uh, you know, walking people through a show suite and helping them with suite selections. And I learned a great deal about contractual obligations, working for a vendor or developer and understanding that side of the equation. And then it just grew for me naturally. I was fortunate with the people I was surrounded with. Uh, Eric worked with Century 21. We both, I joined up with him began working under him and um, was just, I think, overall eager and excited uh, to get into it. What's different about you now, you as, as you are as a realtor today, than was different about you in the beginning? Like, what can you say is like, oh, no, this is specifically different about how I do it now? Hmm. What is specifically different? Well, you can't, you know, I might not be the best for everyone is something that I've, I've learned going through this is that I'm, I'm somebody that I like to help and uh, I like to be liked. And it's hard when you don't win somebody's trust or when, you, when you're not successful. So knowing that um, I will draw and will work with the right people, having confidence or leaning into that instead of being so following up on every lead and and trying to turn everybody into a deal, that is something that I have certainly changed. Being able to just stay in my lane, do my job, do what I can do, and not get caught up in a lot of the buzz that's that's out there. I've, I've become very aware of just staying in my lane and doing what I can do. I was spread far thinner before trying to, to do everything. All right, what's something that you've learned about yourself that you were pleasantly surprised to learn? Through your, through your journey as a realtor? 
when I started out and even recently, uh, I used to think that my administrative skills were poor. But uh, I've heard not only from our conveyance office, but also from fellow agents that I do deals with, that it's not, that I'm, I'm quite good. My, my contracts, my files are, are buttoned up nice and neat and tidy. And uh, that goes a long way. It's a funny thing because I had the perception that this was my weak spot. But in fact, it's not. And I think it's probably because I thought it was my weak spot. I always worked on it on like my contractual obligations and ensuring that the file is tight and that I've, you know, even as we went through with you, we're just making sure that we have everything in place. We've, we've checked all the title. We've checked everything. We're happy to move forward. Yeah. Uh, 100% man. That it was very good. All right. So what's something that you learned about yourself that you were like maybe disappointed to learn and that you've worked to, to change? Gosh, that I was disappointed to learn is what I'm, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure. I don't know what I'm mm -hmm. disappointed to learn about myself. Mm -hmm. I think I can have a transactional element to my behavior, which I don't mm -hmm. like. Uh, and we talked about it earlier of like just putting a deal together. And I've, I think I've avoided that very much. So if I catch myself being like, oh, geez, come on, just this is a great place. Just buy it. And I, you know, if I catch myself, I'm like, Paul, <laughs> relax. It's, it is a great place. Don't, but it's not yours. Right. And I'm very cautious of that. And that's what I learned is like, just my job is to present you with the options, help you evaluate the decision and then help you acquire it and move forward. And when I refined that down in my mind, I think it made it easier for me to not, you know, put the pressure on people. Although I am pretty yeah. intense, but uh, it's not, I'm not, I don't slam deals together. No way. You're, you're intense in a good way, man. I, I appreciate it. All right. So as we're closing off, I got three questions left for you. If you, if you have an advice to young realtors coming up, people who are first getting in the industry and you were to say to them like, hey, here are like, here's some things that I've learned that I think are important for you. What's some advice that you'd have for young realtors uh, for, or people who are new to the, the world of, of being a realtor? I think it's so important to understand how you learn. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people don't quite understand how they learn. Some people can can read something or study it and they can uh, take it in for some people it's visual. So they need to see it or, or see the objects go into place. Uh, and for some people they have to experience it, right? They have to buy and sell to go through it. So I think first of all, if you can identify how you learn, because once you can do that, then you can direct it into the other things that perhaps might frustrate you. So not everyone is good at open houses. And I am, and that's how I met mm. you and how I've built yeah. our relationship. And so I doubled down on that. It's, it's the Gary V thing. And, but it actually is something for me that comes from CrossFit is I would recommend to younger realtors coming up is, you know, work on the things that you think, or, or perhaps that you're weak at, but double down on what you're good at. If you're mm. good at marketing and, and building these elaborate Instagram or, or, or YouTube videos, do it twice as much as you think you should, or you think mm -hmm. is good enough. Don't let the other stuff slip, but, you know, leverage your, your, your ability. Yeah, that okay. would be the first thing, you know, how you learn. All right. Um, were there more, were there other things that you would suggest? Well, yeah, I think it's also important to, you know, <laughs> you've got to become very knowledgeable. And so I used to, or, you know, I describe it to people that I work or I talk to, buyers, brokers, and builders, because that's my industry. And when I say brokers, I mean mortgage brokers. So I talk to buyers because I, I get to learn what the emotional um, drivers are like, oh, we want a house because of a kid or we need a place because of work. I talk to brokers because I want to learn, hey, what's happening in the lending world, right? This is an important part of the process. I don't get too deeply involved into the finances of, of, a, of a person's mortgage, but I want to know Hey, our appraisers, uh, our appraisals coming back below contractual price are, you know, how long are your pre-approvals? So getting to know some of that world a little bit is good. And then builders, right? Builders do a lot of research and understanding what's coming ahead. 
they make bets because it takes them 12, 18, 24 months to put a product to market. And if they get feedback from their sphere that um, a lock-off suite is important or a little studio is important and they start building that, that's something that I think is important. So for an up-and-coming realtor, you know, you need to know what's going on in the market because you will be filtered out very quickly if your clients run into uh, an agent like me or, or like some of my colleagues that like, we know this stuff, we, we are on it and, and we share it with our people very candidly. Yeah, I can attest to that, that you, you, you definitely, not only did you know a ton of stuff, but like when you were learning stuff or as I was learning stuff and if it was new to you, you let me knew, know it was new to you. And you were like, and you were an avid student of new things because you wanted to like have, you wanted to round out your expertise. All right. So what about home buyers though? And this could be like people who are new to the market or people who like, maybe like me, who maybe feel burnt from like people they've worked with before. What's just some either specific or general advice that you could give to people about like, Hey, if you want to play in real estate, this is what you should really be thinking about, but let's move past things like look for trust because that's so vague. Like, like what's something either specific or a little general that you could share with our audience? So the mechanics of it and, and what I ask when I meet with people frequently and I recommend comfortably to everyone is you need to have a grip on what the next five to seven years of your life looks like. And mm. this is a question that I think you share with people. Like what does retirement look like for people? And so I, I like to get that. And I, I look for a five to seven year term to say like, okay, well, are you somebody where you think you could live on the island or, you know, is your job something that is temporary? Because the last thing you want to do is make a long-term commitment when you have what would be comparatively temporary solutions being your income. So if your job is a one-year contract and you've now just signed up for a 30-year mortgage and a five-year term, yeah, that that might be something we want to talk about before I, <laughs> I put you into a property. But the other yeah. thing is, is also, you know, kids and family. And so have a, I said it at the top here is knowing what you want is a very, very hard thing to do. And some realtors and some salespeople are, are better at, at drawing that out of you than others. But having, you know, knowing your lane, like I've got two kids, we want to have a dog. Um, I don't like to barbecue and my parents never visit whatever the, the things are, right? So first of all, know what you're up to. Second to it is that you've got to get in touch with a mortgage broker or a lender. Speak with a financial institution and learn, understand what's involved. I find so many people ask me after the fact, hey, should I make my mortgage payments biweekly or monthly? Or all sorts of relatively sophisticated and specific questions that they should have known. And had I known that they didn't know, I would have shared with them before they entered into the transaction. So understand what your obligations are financially, right? Because if you've got a home that you love, that's really, that's done and sorted. But the mortgage and understanding when's a good time to refinance, because that's really how you acquire the home. Um, and I think overall, you know, you have to be able in this market in Vancouver, you have to be able to walk away. And we had this chat very candidly before we even got into stuff. I said, what's our ceiling and what's our floor? Because I want us, if we win the property, great. But if we walk away, I want to be able to have that conversation with you a month from now and say, listen, we did everything we could. We set our limits and we, you know, we were disciplined about them because once you start expanding your budget and oh maybe we'll look over here it's inevitably going to lead to a fatigue or a burnout and you might just feel like you settled like yeah we we got this place this is how it worked out but a, a lot of that has to do with your plan going in which i think i'm a pretty good uh, uh guide or or you know somebody to help with that Mm -hmm. Well, Paul, I, I need someone like you to help me uh, acquire the records I want so that I, I'm not overspending on them. All right. Final question for you. You have been involved with me in multiple transactions. What is the funniest behavior that you've noticed for me as I am involved in either selling or buying a property? <sighs> Charmingly funny, you know, not terribly I, funny. Yeah. I don't know if I would say it's funny, but what I, if I can say what I appreciated about it is your decisiveness. Mm -hmm. You're 
you know, you, to what I was just saying, you knew what you wanted. And, and similar to when I, I, you know, I spoke of and, and where you bought and everything, I was like, listen, I want you to make sure you've considered this, this, and this. And once I had absolute certainty that you did, and you did, we went ahead with it. And you actually ended up kind of selling me on the house in the end. I remember walking in with us and I was like, God, this is a really cool house. And you were like, I told you. And I was like, yeah, all right, all right, you got me. So that was a, a really fun thing. But, you know, there wasn't really, you know, you you get it, but I think it's also from experience. I don't think it's a, a natural thing. As you mentioned in the top of this, you went through some not great experiences. And from that, you were able to, you know, tell me what you want, what was acceptable and what wasn't. And so all I had to do was just stay inside those lines. Totally. And, and something I'd add in there is like, I was definitely, I definitely felt taken advantage of the first time that I bought a house. The second time I wasn't taken advantage of, but I was, I wasn't as diligent as I could have been. By the time we started doing business together, I was way more diligent, knew the ropes, all that stuff. But one thing you said that I, I think is really important is I never really learned about mortgages and like brokers and getting loans from a bank versus getting a, a loan through a, mor- a broker. And a piece of advice that you gave, and I really encourage people, it's, Part of it is getting a great realtor. Part of it is knowing what you want, like really knowing what you want and understanding that like both short and long-term. And part of it is really real deal understanding uh, mortgages and not enough people do that, myself included. Like I know so much more now than I even knew a few months ago. So this has been an incredible conversation. As we're closing off, is there anything you wanna add into people in general? Remember, we've got people from all over the place that come to this podcast. Um, you know what I'd say is just, you know, don't let the, the tail wag the dog, right? The, as I said earlier on, is there's always another deal, you know, people, it's important to just make sure, because this is a home, right? And be clear on that, right? You know, do your best to get exactly what you want under the terms and conditions that you want, right? Because it's a big obligation. And so, you know, make sure that you're clear on what you want. And when you're in, just live. Don't sit there and constantly be refining your decisions and going back and forth. Just live, work on and focus on generating more revenue instead of just commiserating and paying down. Oh, the bank owns my house. Just, (laughs) (laughs) you know, this is, this is the world we're in right now. And there may come a time where you can pay it off. And if so, that's great. But for now, once you've acquired the home, live in it, enjoy life, you know, furnish it, paint it, improve it, and, you know, kind of follow through on that dream of home ownership. It's not just about buying the place. It's about actually living there and getting to know your neighbors and all that fun stuff. Mm, I love that, man. All right. Well, everyone, uh, I'm sure you got something out of this conversation because I got a ton out of it. Even though I literally just bought a home, I just learned a bunch. So, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. And everyone, I will see you in the outro. Spencer, drop the beat. That was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Paul. You know, like I said to you before, like, for example, when I was in college, before the housing market got totally outrageous, even then I was like, ooh, like how am I ever gonna afford a home? And then of course, like after college, like housing everywhere, especially in Vancouver, just got so extreme. And really I had that feeling of like, just like this system's rigged, it's not fair. Like all these people, like, you know, like they're screwing us over. And it's not that I don't think that now, but more so that I've been involved in the market and I've had a chance to educate myself and I've had the chance to meet, work with and learn from people like Paul. I have a different perspective. I think that land ownership and all the things involved with it is like a pretty difficult issue, especially when we're on land that has been stolen from people. It's a tough conversation. And I'm also like anyone else. Like I want the best for my family. I want the best for my kid. I want the best for our future. And home ownership is such a clear pathway towards uh, having like kind of like a strong financial future. It's a really difficult conversation, but one that like, I don't think we can have black and white thinking about and we can't hide from. I don't feel good about the topic, 
but I feel much more informed to not just have the right kinds of conversations, but to kind of help create change. And doing that means you gotta you gotta learn some stuff. So with that, man, Paul, thank you so much for being on here. Um, really just so honest, so insightful and so useful. And for anyone out there who's feeling like, you know what, I don't know if I can do it. If you're local, I really encourage you to reach out to Paul. A wonderful resource, but also like outside of that, no matter where you're at, educate yourself, take your first steps, figure it out. And that can help you to either getting down that path of home ownership and kind of like building towards that financial future. Or if you're not interested in that, helping make changes to the system that definitely is is stacked against us right now. Before we close off, I just want to remind everyone that we're produced and edited by Spencer Priest, uh, recorded by Patrick McKechnie, and our design is done by Tammy Levy. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and I will see you next time on One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.